Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope everyone uh, in your orbit is doing okay, keeping well, keeping healthy, safe and sound of body and mind. It can be tough going. Um, So wherever you are and whatever you're doing and whoever you're with, I hope everyone is doing okay. Uh, It helps, I suppose, uh, if you're listening to this, that Arsenal win football games. That's always nice. It helps alleviate some of the other stresses and strains and everything else. You know, you can say, look, it's only a game. In the grand scheme of things, there are more important things in the world. Of course there are. Of course. But, you know, it does affect your mood when you support a football club and the football club that you support doesn't do as well as you would like it to do. So when it starts to do better than it was doing, if not still as well as you would like it to do, it just makes life a little bit, a little bit better. And I think we could all use whatever makes life a little bit better at this moment in time. Uh, What was I going to say? I don't know. I don't have a great deal to say in the opening part of this particular podcast because we're going into an FA Cup weekend. We've got two games in a few days against Southampton. I don't know how you feel about these things, these sort of double headers when you play a team in a cup and in the league or uh, in the old days. Remember when you play a team in the cup and you draw and there'd be a replay and there'd be a number of replays. I remember when I was growing up, there was maybe four games in a row against Liverpool in the FA Cup. This season, of course, there are no replays because of everything else that's going on and, and what have you. But back then, you didn't just have one replay and then penalties. It was a replay and then another replay and another replay. I think we played Liverpool four times. Could have been 1980. I remember listening to those games on the radio as a nine or ten-year-old, thereabouts anyway. And Leeds as well at some point in the 90s. Did we play Leeds a load of times in one go? And perhaps Sheffield Wednesday. I can't remember. But anyway, it doesn't tend to happen as much these days, but we do have two games coming up against Southampton, uh, Saturday and Tuesday. So towards the end, I will talk a little bit about the team that we might pick for the FA Cup game, given that we are going to need to rotate and there are reasons why we want to do that, not just to keep players fresh, but to try and get some players back towards some kind of form slash match fitness slash uh, effectiveness or whatever it might be. So uh, we'll do that towards the end of the podcast, but we might as well just crack on into this. And uh, it's been an interesting few weeks for Arsenal. We're going to talk about that, the games we've won, some of the positives, some of the players that have come through. But I thought we might talk about something a little non-Arsenal first with my guest today. He is the football correspondent for CBS. It's James Bench. Hello, James. Hi, Andrew. How you doing? I'm all right, thanks. Uh, we are going to talk Arsenal. There are some interesting bits and pieces, and obviously the last few weeks have been quite good from an Arsenal perspective, perhaps giving us a platform, things to build on as we go forward to a more difficult and challenging run of fixtures. We'll get to that in good time. But I wanted to talk to you uh, just a bit about the the James Madison interview this week that he did with Sky Sports after their 2-0 win over Chelsea. Very good result for Leicester. Put them top of the league, I think. Uh, you know, Madison scored a goal. And he spoke on Sky Sports afterwards and spoke, I thought, pretty well. He expanded mm. on certain things that you don't necessarily hear footballers talk about a great deal. But there was this big... Um, not furore, but there was a lot of hype about this. It was like, oh my God, what a brilliant interview. This is an amazing interview with James Madison. And I don't, I'm not saying he didn't speak well, and I'm not saying it wasn't interesting, but my contention is that it was 
uh, highlighted because in general, post-match interviews with footballers are paint-by-numbers, very bland, say, you know, answer the questions, yeah, it's a game of two halves, yeah, yeah, well, you know, the ball came in and hit it in the back of the net, you know, that kind of stuff. That they're, they're, In comparison to all the stuff that we normally get, this stood out, not because it was super brilliant in its own right, but because it was just a lot better than all the usual crap. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, I think the big thing for me is he, he told us things that we didn't know, and then, you know, we actually got a, a degree of understanding of how Leicester had gone about winning a football match. And and this, I, I really want to emphasize, none of this is criticizing these the the interviewers in, no, in no. these situations because it's 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 hard. And we'll, uh, you know, we can sort of address why. But I mean, what I liked about it was I got an understanding of how Leicester had gone about winning a football match, which when you think about it, that is the whole purpose of, of these flash interviews after the game, especially the ones for broadcasters that, that kind of, you know, run straight after um, during the match analysis. We want to know what Leicester got right. And, you know, talking about how they'd worked specifically on short corners and how they'd worked on their system, mm. you know, what they'd be in possession and out of possession. That was something that, you know, that stood out to me as something we don't get, that it, it doesn't really make any sense not to get. I think there's such, across the football landscape, there's such a hesitancy to actually talk about the game that, that is being played. And I think that is, that, that is why we kind of end up gravitating towards some, some quite bland and quite consistent lines of questioning about everything but the way in which the sport gets played, which I don't really enjoy anymore. I think I, and I want to shout him out before I forget my former colleague, um, Art de Rocher at the athletic is really good in press conferences at doing the same thing, asking questions about football. So often it's not about that. And I think what, what was exciting was Madison addressed this without fear of giving away tactical insights, without fear of, you know, revealing his plan, uh, Rogers's plans to the next opponent. And he just sort of told us things we'd like to know. Um, yeah, it's it stood out, and it, as you say, when you think about why it stood out, it ought not to be remarkable. He's a he's simply a you know he's very similar to every other footballer who you speak to. They are smart, eloquent guys. I think that a lot of the time they're just coached to not not say anything that interesting or revelatory. Yeah, I mean, there's two things that occur to me. One is that okay, you you mentioned it, and we know that young players at football clubs when they're coming through, they are coached as you say but they're taught they, they have classes in media training like what to say what not to say um you know because obviously football clubs don't want to deal with uh you know a player saying something and it becomes a scandal or it becomes a you know a huge issue they'd rather not deal with those things you know they've got enough going on mm. <laughs> in general without having to sort of firefight situations like that so as much as possible they're giving these players you know the tools if you like to deal with the questions that they're being asked in a in an interview so if you get a difficult question you know you 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 give them a sort of platitude in return and it it sort of di- uh, dampens down any potential uh, outbreak of fire that might come from it but the, there's another part of this i think as well which is that we exist in and we are part of and i think we we have to acknowledge that as people who talk and write and and speak about football uh, with the regularity and frequency and perhaps monotony that we do we have to take our part in that but we live in this media landscape which is i think uh leaning more and more towards these kind of if you like gotcha moments mm. so one little slip and you become a meme you know, you're uh, people out there. Everything is permanent. There's no sort of getting away from, right, you say this and it's just sort of going to go away in a day or two. It exists forever. There's a permanency about everything that everybody says on the Internet. So does that in some ways lend itself to these these kind of bland interviews because nobody wants to say something uh, controversial or something that's going to exist and basically follow them around forever and ever. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you kind of remember back to 10, 10 or so years ago, however long it was when, you know, the, the prime example for me that always I remember is uh, AVB, what were the words he said about Arsenal? That it was a, a, a negative cycle. Negative, negative spiral, spiral. Spiral, yeah. And that is, you know, that is a, a question you cannot escape. And, you know, 
I think managers, players live in fear of having their words continually relayed back to them and saying, you said this last month. Mm. Uh, you know, what do you mean by it? I, I thought we saw a prime example of this um, in the press conference earlier where Mikel Arteta, a few, probably a few months ago now, had lost his cool a little bit when discussing the leaks coming out of the uh, Arsenal dressing room. I think it was in relation to um, the David Luiz, Danny Ceballos, yeah, bust up. Yeah, for want of a better word. Um, and he, you know, he kind of came out and said, "I, oh, you know, I'm going to, you know, fire and brimstone or as near as Arteta gets to it, saying I'm going to find out who this leaker is and you know, come get, come down on them like the wrath of God." I'm <laughs> paraphrasing the yeah, last yeah, bit. Yeah. <laughs> And then, uh, all credit to, to James Ollie, he brings that back kind of out of the blue um, in today's press conference. And it's suddenly Mikel Arteta's kind of having to manage what he said before. Yeah, you and could see him we, thinking, couldn't you? He was like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> and exactly. And no one wants to be putting that much you know, effort into press conferences. They'd rather be, you know, straight batting. Um, transfer questions and you know offering platitudes to to outgoing players. Um, yeah, I think there's a real fear of your of your your words coming back to haunt you. And then you find this when you interview players as well that you know it's pretty rare now to have a conversation with with people and not at least agree to let them see some copy beforehand. I must admit, you know, mm. I've done that and I don't like doing that, but it's the game we play. Um, I think it is a real is a real fear of of something you said three years ago being being thrown back in your face. I think we see that with you know on Twitter so much. With, with whenever there's a, an Arsenal press conference, someone will within fifteen minutes will grab something that Arteta said three months ago and go, "Oh, well, three months ago he said this. What, why is he saying this now?" Well, yeah, I mean, it's almost as if circumstances and opinions and points of view can change. I mean, remarkable, I know. But, you know, coming back to the to the interview side of things, you know, you've been there in in mix zones and things like that. You know, do do these opportunities to speak to players lend themselves inherently to interesting things in that if a player stops and talks to you guys after a defeat you know, there's an element of, I remember it was Johan Juru for years and years and years, you know, whenever, whenever, <laughs> whenever things went wrong for Arsenal, Johan Juru was the guy who would say, well, you know, we've, again, paraphrasing, we've got to learn from this, we've got to do better, work harder on the training ground, etc., etc. Because like, what else is there to say after a defeat other than to say, well, look, this wasn't good, we'll try and put it right. There's only so many ways you can say that you can't be scathing about your 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 colleagues you can't be critical of the manager's tactics not if you want to play in the next game and when you win it's like well yeah it's great it's a you know boost of confidence it's good for the lads you know back to winning ways etc etc so in you know in those circumstances how difficult is it as a journalist as a reporter to ask a question of a player that is going to give you anything above and beyond what we have become so used to so I suppose the late the, the cop out answer is it depends on the player. Yeah, um, and certainly you know Arsenal still have a great heritage of having the odd guy that has to go in the mix zone after every defeat. Um, you know, I think we all mentioned this on Twitter yesterday. The real hammer blow of losing Socrates is that means Burnt Leno now has to do all post match two nil defeat mix zones. Um, I, yeah, it's a real it's a real challenge talking about football in in such a speedy you know speedy way where we have like three minutes there's normally i mean you know i probably won't be doing these even if they return afterwards nature of the job there's Mm. there's five or six people huddling around we all have different ideas of what we want to get out of whatever player we get and you don't always know which player's going to talk to you until they stop and talk to you as they're walking past and um i mean you certainly know some players that won't stop but you know, someone like Aubameyang might take you by surprise and, and be in the mood to talk one time. And, and then you've got to kind of think of something interesting to say. Mm. You know, you're almost live because you don't just want what happened in the game. You know, by the time you come to use these quotes, the game's long gone in the past and, and this is Arsenal and the world moves very quickly. So yeah. on that side, it's a challenge to find interesting things. Equally, if you can hit on the right topic, 
you know, you do discover that actually most players are just like James Madison was the other night. I re- remember really well talking to David Luiz after a nil-nil against Burnley last season. And it was it was either just after Mary had signed or it was so close to signing that everyone in the club was was talking openly about it. And he just, we spent a good four or five minutes chatting about Flamengo and, um, you know, how Mari had got on and Jorge Jesus and, and how Luis would help Mari when he arrived. Mm. I mean, there was some remark. it was myself, Charles Watts and Simon Collings. And I have to say, there was some exceptional bullshitting over the level of Brazilian football knowledge we all shared because <laughs> I don't think any of us had a clue. And we were going, oh yeah, Flamengo, good team to play, you know, play football in the right way. Between us, we've probably seen zero minutes of Flamengo. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's hard to, it's hard to find the right topics because as you say, the players are really worried about being seen to criticise the manager, being seen to question tactics or how they're being used. Um, and then after, you know, after a win or after a morale boosting win, you, you kind of don't want to fall down the, the road of mm. platitudes um, of, you know, this is, this is a turning point because the truth is fans now are so media savvy that they don't read that, uh, you know, no one, no one's interested at all in, in someone saying mm. on a Monday at midday after a Saturday three 0 win over Southampton that you know this is a real building block for Arsenal season. No one cares. You've got to try and move things on. So it's a challenge, but you know ultimately that's what that's what they pay us money to do, and a lot of people would do it for free for sure. Um, you know, on, on that then, um, and this isn't sort of specific to Arsenal or anything like that. Uh, do you? feel you know not personally but sort of generally that if there were a bit more access outside of these post-game scenarios or you know the the sort of uh, European press conferences where there's the manager plus a player Mm. uh, you know those are really the only times you get any kind of access to a player unless they're doing something like you know they're launching something with one of their sponsors and you get a bit of sort of uh almost like mixed zone access to a player Mm. in those sort of circumstances where where seven journalists have got an exclusive with the one player and all the answers are the same kind of thing you know uh you know are clubs kind of afraid in some ways to to expose the players. I mean, it strikes me, look, some players just don't want to do it, don't want to mm. talk, don't want to really speak to the press. And that's fair enough. I can understand why that might be the case. Some of them just maybe aren't comfortable with it. They don't feel like they've got anything to say. Others might be concerned that what they do say could be taken out of context, etc., etc. But there must be others who are willing and, and happy to talk about the game and talk about themselves as players and talk about situations that they find themselves in. It's a difficult balance, isn't it? Because you know quite often you know whether you're fighting relegation whether you're challenging for the title whether you're battling for a top four spot battling for a european spot trying to stay in a cup whatever it is there's a sort of delicateness to to every scenario that a football club and a player might find themselves in so you know maybe better access or more unrestricted access to players could give us um, more insight and more interesting stuff but i i understand at the same time why clubs are are reluctant to do that yeah and of course they've got you know they've got media arms of their own to to feed i I spoke to i remember speaking to the agent of um one player senior player at arsenal he said he he kind of was probably doing about 50 interviews a year and it's just very you know if you add up all the Mm. post-match and you know the stuff that is mandated by the broadcasters and you know suddenly just doing things on a more ad hoc basis it's hard, especially you know at the biggest clubs where there is such such interest. So I I really empathise with with clubs that are getting annoyed, get annoyed when people like myself just go, oh, can I have an hour to sit down with with one of your players, please, mm. for a long form written piece. Having said that, I think you know there is there is great value in in us knowing a bit more about these players considering the environment that that you know considering the conversations that surround them i think you know it doesn't always have to be done through an interview but it was amazing how quickly the conversation about mustafi changed was it a year ago when he was just he he found platforms in which to express some of the difficulties he's had and how conscious he is of, of how he's been a, a or how he was a bit of a running joke at arsenal and i think 
humanizing players, giving them an opportunity and a, a platform to to tell stories at real length outside of the context of we are just fo- we're just focused on this upcoming game. I think that has enormous value. Some clubs see that more than others. Um, you know, within the work I do, we find that a club like Lothar's set, a club like Tottenham really do understand the value of giving their players platforms to, to share their stories, to humanize themselves. And I think you, you know, you, you probably then build a deeper bond between supporters and players. I know that it's only, you know, a bit of, um, you know, written text or a, a video or whatever that is tomorrow's chip paper, but you know, but these things stay with people. People, you know, if 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 a player is able to speak well and speak honestly, um, it really does change the view of them. And I think that was has been really true of, of Hector Bellerin, who obviously has used pretty much every avenue available to him to to engage with Arsenal fans. You know, he engages with them directly. He that the the documentary series I thought was fantastic. Mm. Um, you know, he's obviously he's done interviews as well, and all of that. And I think it you know it does it, it gives people a, a really different insight into who who a, who a player is and maybe changes their view of them and and brings a bit more understanding and yeah i i don't see how it can hurt i'm you know sympathetic to to clubs you know <laughs> clubs needs and clubs own media needs but i do think it it would be much better i think particularly in the pandemic we're hearing less and less you know it's it's there's there's fewer opportunities to talk to players, um, and when they are, they can be a little bit you know formulaic over Zoom. And I do hope that post pandemic, there's sort of maybe a bit of a, a reassessment of, of the value that comes with sitting down and, and chatting to journalists. Because mm. I'm not in the business of tripping anyone up, um, and I hate I hate doing that. It's more hassle than it's worth because um, I just get loads and loads of angry phone calls and tweets. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's not you know. Look, I'm sure there are. Um people out there who enjoy that kind of thing but like for the most part you just want to get something interesting uh, that mm. you don't normally get in in sort of interview situations i think it's a really good point as well that you make about hector bellerin for example and and you know arsenal players many of them are are active on social media uh, so they do have their own platforms to to kind of humanize themselves with fans you know there are you know there are some which feel more natural than others you know, you know mm. what I mean in terms of like how how cultivated the social media experience is. Like, what you get is this a true reflection of of the player, or is this this is the 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 image that we want to present? You know, I think that's natural anyway. But um, yeah, quite how clubs might look at those kind of platforms um, in the future is going to be going to be interesting particularly with younger generations who you know are more than used to spending all their time online who don't really mind broadcasting their life mm. uh, as as much as they do whereas i think with some senior players for example that wouldn't be the case but anyway look uh, interesting uh you know interesting aspect of of your job and what we get as fans and what we are uh, allowed to see uh, by clubs and players and everything else and uh you know maybe uh we might see a bit more if the madison thing is uh uh might open up some players minds to being a bit more forthright or 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 going off script a little bit then i think we'd all be beneficial or all be uh, benefiting from that so look let's move on and talk a bit uh, about arsenal because there's a fair bit going on um, we'll get to form in a, in a few moments' time, but this week uh, we've seen two players uh, depart the club. Well, the Mesut Ozil thing isn't um, fully official yet because he's quarantining in Turkey, and I think as soon as that is done, that, that deal is going to be announced, his move to, to Fenerbahce. Uh, Socrates uh, was let go, or his contract uh, was terminated, and early termination was agreed. It sounded very uh, amicable. In fairness, in terms of the way it was presented, it sounded like it was something which uh, player and club were both uh, quite happy to do. Um, when it comes to trimming the squad, which has been a big part of what we need to do, how have you viewed the work has been uh, that has been done so far uh, this this month? I mean, you don't want to get carried away because 
you know, with two of those senior players, Arsenal have paid them. Um, I can't confirm how much of what they were owed they paid them, but they've basically paid them to go away. Yeah, I mean, they would have had to pay them anyway, though. I mean, I see that exactly. angle. It's like, okay, we used to let players go for free. Now we're actively paying them to go away, which is one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is, of course, we would have had to pay them until June anyway. So whether there are any savings or not, I'm not really sure. Uh, you know, I don't know uh, that we can say with any certainty that we've, you know, got ourselves a bargain. We've knocked off a million quid here or there because of an early termination or because we're paying them a lump sum. Maybe there is. But, you know, we would have had to pay them anyway. Yeah, indeed. I think I think if nothing else, it, w- that set that to one side. You, you've got a squad that you can kind of manage a little bit and that is about the right size. It still feels a bit big. Mm. Um, especially in central defence. I think if those defenders were consistently fit, you would look at it and go, oh, that's still much too many. I'm looking at the squad now. It's one, two, three, six centre-backs. That feels like at least one too many. Um, And you've got Tierney that can drop in. And I think ideally, maybe you'd want to swap one of those out for a a left-back. It was interesting that that Arteta said, well, we might look at a new left-back but we might be fine anyway. We've got Ainsley mm. and Cedric and, and Bakayo. Um, I think it's been, it. I, what was, I was more impressed with the Saliba and Kalasanak deals Kalas, in, in terms of getting them done quickly, because we knew yeah. there would be a market for those two players. I think, you know, whether Saliba is better off in France or England, we just, we don't know yet, but he's playing regularly. And that's the most important thing. I think one of the fears was that if you send someone like Saliba to the championship, and they're at a team like Norwich and they make a slow start. Suddenly, you know, the pressure of promotion, and we saw this with Nketiah, the, the pressure of promotion is such that you go, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, Arsenal, we don't have the time to develop Saliba for you. You know, we, we've got to play our yeah. senior pros. And, you know, Nice are going uh, to play him week in, week out. And I think that's the, the key thing. So, yeah, I think it's been it's been a good job well done. Um, I think there's a, a important to not get carried away that most of these players are, you know, and not exactly recouping big fees, but it's it's just it's also just clearing the deck of things, you know, things that Edu and Arteta don't need to worry about, and can focus on on other things. Can focus on Edu can focus on incomings and and rebalancing the squad, and Arteta can do a bit more coaching without having to, uh, you know, man manage the players he wants there in the the short, medium, and long term. So. I think credit to them that it's it's three week. You know, there's still ten days left of the window, and um, it's pretty much all done in terms of outgoings from the sounds of it. Certainly, I've been told that Mustafi, pretty much everything's on the cards. He may he may even stay beyond the summer, but we'll see about that. <clears throat> what he might do, it's, uh, nothing has been ruled out, is what I would say. But I don't, I don't. Right. So, you know, he's open to it. I think you know, I don't think it will happen, but uh, it's not been ruled out. Wow, it should be, to be fair. Should be. It should be, because, you know, look, he's not playing. He's not even making the squad. So, you know, it's about it's about <laughs> knowing when... Uh, what's the old uh, Kenny Rogers song? Got to know when to hold him, know when to fold yeah. him. The gambler, that but kind of thing. Before this gets, you know, sort of aggregated into all hell, you know, it's still overwhelmingly likely that he will, you know, leave as a free agent. But what I'm saying is he's not being told that's what's, you know, he's not being told. Sure, okay. And, and, you know, there's, there, there haven't been the concerted efforts to move him on in January yeah. that there have been with, with other players. Because I, I think he did address this in his press conference last week, Arteta, he was asked about Mustafi. And I think what he's looking at is, you know, uh, he's got Gabriel, he's got Pablo Marie, he's got Rob Holding, he's got David Luiz, he's got Callum Chambers, who uh, he spoke well about today in his press conference but who, you know, hasn't really played a great deal since his uh, cruciate ligament injury, may play in the FA Cup this weekend, who knows. But maybe Mustafi is a kind of insurance, Mm. uh, you know, because, look, Louise could end up getting a suspension or an injury, and uh, Pablo Marie is a little bit injury-prone, as far as we can see. Uh, He came in, did well, but he he has had some significant spells out with injury since he joined. I don't think he's got into double figures yet in appearances, you know? Um, So... Yeah, I mean, he could be a, a sort of insurance policy centre half between now and the end of the season. It'd be mad if he stayed. It would just be crazy. I can't believe that. But <laughs> It would be really weird. It would. This is Arsenal. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about... Uh, actually, I've, I had a question there about Edu. 
that I was going to ask you because, you know, it, we're looking at this squad and we're looking at a... Uh, is firefighting the right way? Look, they're cleaning up a mess. Mm. They are cleaning up a mess. Uh, and I'm not uh, really sort of apportioning any kind of blame here in terms of how we got to where we are. Let's let's just accept that's where we are and it's a mess that needs to be cleaned up. Um, Sanyehi was... Uh, let go and yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you know at, at the time there's obviously a very close association between Sanyei and uh, Edu and Kia Dradchian, over whom there were many questions about you know his proximity to uh, the boardroom if you like to the executive level of the club so in some ways I think we're asking uh, one of the guys who made the mess to kind of tidy up the mess a bit mm. Uh I'm not saying jury's out, but he he really does have quite a lot to prove, I think, to sort of distance himself from the situation that we found ourselves in and to show that he is somebody who is capable of of putting in place a strategy to build this squad to where it needs to be. Trim the fat, trim some of the players who just aren't quite going to do it, replace them with better players who can take the the team forward as well. I mean, where do you stand on on that situation? I mean, do you think Edu might consider himself a little bit fortunate to be where he is without being damned by that association previously? Um, you know, if not by fans, by by the ownership at least. Uh, it, it's a... It's a, an interesting situation to consider. It is a really hard one. And I I think that the the, pre, the truth for Edu is this, you know, his, his whatever he, signings he makes in the future, the, the Jarabchan thing will not go away until, you know, until Willian goes away without wishing to, to put too blunt a point on it. You know, that is the sort of, it, for me, Willian is, is proof that, you know, Edu took the reins and he didn't really do anything differently to what had been going wrong in the first place, mm. which is he signed players that were short-term gambles of, we desperately need to get back in the Champions League. You know, this guy, this older guy might might be the one to, to do it. You know, you can even, you can even, if you're cynical, throw Thomas Partey into the mix. He looks like he's fantastic right now and maybe that's all that matters. But, you know, he is... What Arsenal have needed for a very long time is a squad builder, and they've had people that are, you know, fixing problems, p- patching holes in this sinking ship, in the hope it can just sort of just sort of about sail to top four, and then everything will be fine. Yeah, we need uh, to we need to dry dock, repair the hull, exactly. uh, hoist the mainsail, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and get back out in the ocean again. Yes, exactly that. And I think <laughs> there's, there's, so much of this has been short term thinking, and. Um, it's hard because Edu has been operating in really difficult circumstances, but he does have a huge amount to prove going into next summer and, and the summer after, assuming he gets to the summer after. I mean, there's no indication he won't. Um, in terms of investing in in a squad in the right way, uh, I look at you know some of the teams that are above Arsenal in the Premier League. You know, Leicester is a great example, Aston Villa as well. How their executive team has really gradually built this this squad of players that are mm. are all you know sellable assets if you want to sell them and you'd get huge money for them um or they are the core of a really strong team uh, and what Sanye and and um edu have built from you know pretty shaky foundations it must be said is nothing you know so it's a house a house that can sort of blow down quite easily you know the, most of the building blocks that they have were either were already at the club when they arrived. You know, mm. They were either young players like Saka, um, you know, or the players like Abamyang. Uh, the only one you would, the only ones you might say, are real un- unqualified successes are, are Gabriel and, and Tierney. And Gabriel, you know, is only half a season. Mm. So I think you know, there's a huge amount to prove in terms of doing probably the hardest job in football, which is you know, remodeling a squad, selling, and making hard decisions on who to sell, who to move on. Um, who to just give up on. I thought it was really interesting that West Ham just gave up on Haller, took nothing for him. I, there is one very expensive player in this squad that I think this summer a reckoning might be coming for Nicola Pepe on what can we get for him now and is it worth taking what, what can be found. Mm. Um, that's a tough job. And the thing is, we don't know that Edu, we've got no, nothing to go on that Edu can do it before. 
I know people say, you know, he's done this job in, in Corinthians, but and he's done a job in Brazil, but neither of them are remotely comparable to to what he's doing with Arsenal, you know. And Arsenal on the decline. It it's a hard job and um I don't know if he's up to it. I've not seen the evidence that he is. Yeah. I mean same. I mean I agree with that. I don't know how we can properly assess his capability of doing the job without Look, if you want to be really kind, you can separate um, the Sanyehi year and a half from him if you want to be really kind and say, okay, what we do in this January window and how we remodel and reshape the squad come the summer will be a good way for us to assess his um, proficiency or, or capability of doing this job because, you know, we can all, we can all, we can all, but like, I'm not saying these situations were were easy in any way, but it's not complicated to do a deal uh, or to make the decision, rather, that two guys who haven't been in your squad all season should go. So Mm. Ozil and Socrates, they haven't been in the squad. They weren't going to be in the squad. What do we do? Let them hang around or do we move them on? I mean, that's kind of easy in terms of decision-making. Um, you know, similarly with Saliba having absolutely fucked up the loan back to Saint-Étienne uh, at the end of the last transfer window, like, the easy thing is to send him on loan in January if you're not going to make him part of the squad and you want him to go out and you want him to play and you want him to develop so he can become the player that, that Arsenal spent such a lot of money on in the future. That's easy. It's when you get to the summer and you look at, okay, how do you how do you actually build the squad in every position? When you've got uh, Louise going, Mustafi going, you've got you've got Danny Ceballos probably going, Kalasinac uh, will be back and you're probably going to have to get rid of him again. Uh, Callum Chambers, decision-making time because he's got 12 months left on his deal. Mm-hmm. Elneny, 12 months left on his deal. Lacazette, 12 months left on his deal. Nketiah, 12 months left on his deal. There don't appear to be any efforts being made to, um, to extend those deals. And I'm not saying that's right or I'm not saying that's wrong, but it means that when you get to the summer, you have to make the decisions. So should you sell them and bring in the money and reinvest the money? Yes, probably. Uh, but then it becomes complicated because who are you targeting? Who are you Who are you going to bring in? How are you going to deal with the homegrown situation? All of those things are aspects that they are going to have to deal with when it comes to the summer. So, uh, you know, how good he and Arteta are together, along with Dickie Garlic, whenever he comes in and, and whatever he's going to add to the team. Um, what was he? Director of football at the Premier League. Yeah. So, what does he, that mean? Done, yeah, I, I don't really understand it. I think he was sort of, a lot of it was um, kind of best practice stuff across the league. Right. Um, but I think he'd done a very similar job to what he has done now that he did at West West Brom, and he did it quite well by all accounts. Did he? I, know I mean, I mean, sorry, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm, I'm asking you here. I'm not, yeah. actually, um, being funny or, or trying to cast doubt on it. I just don't have any idea what he did at West Brom in terms of, um, you know, squad building or how he dealt with contracts and and all those kind of things. It's always a different. It's very different at a club like West Brom because. Mm. In there you have to you're you're basically as as a contracts manager you're making sure you retain the flexibility of getting relegated and that you know if you get relegated that's not the contract manager's fault and I think they did get relegated on his watch but I remember at the time um, and you know kind of seen since that, that they were very reluctant to lose him made him a new offer to stay I think obviously you know mm. moving up to the a, a Premier League job from from West Brom it's it's not you know the hardest job to make but I think. It was kind of obvious that you know even even when they went down they were they were a well run club and I think a lot of that does come down to people like Garlic who 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 keep keep things ticking over who keep the key players tied down and um, you know make sure that you're not you haven't got huge wages that that you know dog you into the championship and I think for the most part West Brom did that that pretty well there's always the odd error in there but um yeah that, that's why they kind of were able to become a yo-yo team because they they kept the books in, in good in good condition right so yeah so look summer will be the time when we can uh, make 
uh, despite whatever reservations we may each have uh, personally, individually, about uh, how, how good he could be or, or how capable he is of doing what is, you know, I think you've said, a very difficult job. And I think everyone can acknowledge it's a difficult job because we put ourselves in positions which are really difficult to manage. You know, uh, you could uh, you could argue that, you know, the Willian thing is a classic example of a club not learning any lessons from the deals that it has done in the past. But it is what it is right now and how we deal with that and other situations will be will be very interesting. I want to ask you a bit about Emile Smith-Rowe and his emergence into this team. Um, mm. I know he's a player that, that you like um, and you, you've spoken about his talent and, and potential uh, in the past. Have you been pleasantly surprised at, at just how impactful he has been since he arrived into the team and how in such a very short space of time he has completely changed the conversation about what the team not necessarily what the team needs but maybe what the club needs to do in the transfer market in the in the January window if anything because you know before he uh, played that game against Chelsea and and did so well and then subsequently has had such a, a significant uh, impact and positive impact on the way the team has played and performed and his own individual performances have been have been great uh, everybody was looking at January as a time uh, for Arsenal to address the creative midfield issue in the market. I mean, I think there's still a need to to protect Smith Rowe. Um, and I say that, you know, on, on two levels. One, protect him physically because he... He can't play every game between now and the end of the season. He just can't. It's not realistic. It's unfair to to expect him to carry that kind of a burden. Uh, But I think the other aspect of of what we have to do is protect his potential and protect his, his development in such a way that you don't go and buy a player who is going to completely scupper his chances of playing. So it's a, again, it's a tricky one. It's a balancing act. You know, find a player who can come in and compete with him, but let's not let's not put a, a gigantic wall in the way of his path to first-team football. Yeah, I mean, just on the first bit. So as you say, I am, I'm a real fan of, of Emil's. I've, um, you know, tracked his, his career for a while, interviewed him a few times. I was stunned that he managed to make a success out of this. I, this is not a criticism. Well, that is a criticism of Arteta. Arteta threw him in at the deep end. Uh, you know, it was, and it was very much a, uh, I've got nothing else here. Um, you know, and I, I would have, I don't think Arteta was, was at risk of getting sat there, but I think he was at risk of running out of ideas and, you know, mm. it, it becoming impossible to, to, to keep him around. And, you know, through the, through Smith Rowe in at the deep end and he was fantastic and has largely been very good to excellent ever since. Um, you know, I knew, I knew the talent was there. Um, and I think everyone that, that seen him knew that the talent was there, but it's a, it's a tough position to play. Um, I know he relishes the responsibility of, of a whole team's game being in his hands and mm. he works, he presses like nobody's business. I mean, you know, yeah, the, the whole conversation of, Oh, Arsenal have needed a number ten all along. Well, yeah, that's true, but they need a number ten that that works off the ball. Um, yeah, and he, you know, he almost he and Martinelli they instigate that press. And you saw Lacazette was pressing with more intensity. Bamiang does it. I mean, you know, Saka would do it anyway. And suddenly, it's a you know, it's a snapping animal at the at the, the head of the attack. And I think that's great. Um, it's a it's a really hard. It's a it's a great challenge, but it is a challenge how you how you manage Smith Rowe both over the next six months and and longer term because he's not he's not you know he's he's a good player already, but he's as you say he's he's not ready. You, there's, if there's thirty games left, you would want him to play between fifteen and twenty as a starter, I would say. So hmm. and then next to, next season, you probably still don't know if he's ready to be your long term starting number ten or starting you know as one of the two eights. Um, and that's going to be a challenge in terms of not squashing his potential and never finding out because you bought Erdegaard or Sabitzer or Buendia or whoever. Um, 
uh, it sounds like Erdegaard may, uh, the Erdegaard deal may be a really shrewd one in terms of he's also young, so you're not going to end up waste if you do if the worst comes to the worst and Smith Rowe doesn't make it. Well, hopefully, at least you've developed another top quality young talent. Um, ideally, one you don't send back to Real Madrid after six months, but um, mm. we shall see on that. I think. Right now, the most valuable thing for him is being able to focus purely on, on things on the pitch. Um, I know that there'll, you know, there'll be talk about we've got to reward this guy for his improved form. We've got to give him a new long-term mm. contract. Um, from what I've heard, there's no intention from, from Smith Rowe to sit down until the end of the season. That's solely, solely so he can, you know, so he can focus on football. I think when the conversations happen, they will pretty quickly lead to a, a new contract. Um, although Kevin De Bruyne will be 31 by the time Smith Rowe's contract stop expires. it stop it <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah he will you know he's he's a, a smart guy who um, will not will not rush into things and will not you know kind of allow his head to be turned by contract negotiations when Arsenal need him to be to be fully focused um, he's great uh, he's a, I think he's a real um advertisement for what Hairlands does with players um he worked so hard and they encouraged him to work so hard on his pressing he's always had the creative gifts he's always been able to beat players yeah. um with his dribbling and with his passing but you know the last few years he has worked really hard to become what you need to be to play that position in the modern world and you know this he's great and everyone at the club I think is is over the moon that he's he's come in as the the solution and yeah, save them having to just get, you know, get absolutely fleeced in the, the January window by just with, with a desperate need for a 10. They can do this yeah. in a smart way. You know, you need to get someone, but they don't have to be someone that starts every game. If it's a, if it's a Dennis Suarez, a like, um, <laughs> a fit maybe one, a little bit maybe better a, than Dennis Suarez, a fit but, you one, know, the someone other. that yeah. just steps in every once in a while. That would that would almost be ideal, and you do get time to look at Smithrow. Um, but yeah, he's outstanding, and I'm I'm really chuffed for him. What is Dennis Suarez doing at this moment in time? I wonder. <laughs> he's he's playing for Celta Vigo, so um, so there you go. Look, yeah, I see I see what you're talking about there, and I think uh, as well. Look, I I I see where you're coming from with being thrown in at the deep end. Um, I suppose playing devil's advocate just a little bit, there was, you know, the, the, the fitness issue that he had for most yeah. of the season, which meant he wasn't available, which meant he couldn't play in the Europa League group stages too much. Um, you know, games in which he probably could have flourished and shown that he was, uh, he was ready to make the step up to, to first team football as and when he was needed. And I think as well, we have to acknowledge, you know, sometimes, uh, shit can just line up for a player mm. in that, look, Willian has been terrible. Nicolas Pepe hasn't been much better. Um, there were injuries. There were suspensions. There were uh, there were other things going on. I mean, I remember way back in the day, there was no question really of, of um, Ashley Cole being brought through as long as Silvino was there. And then they discovered that Silvino's passport was made from, you know, yeah. the back of a Kellogg's cornflakes packet and some, some, uh, uh, what was that? What was it? They always used to use on blue Peter, double-sided sticky tape, whatever it was, <laughs> you know, and off he went, um, also to Celta Vigo, I think. Uh, and it, you know, the door was open then for Ashley Cole to come into the team. So sometimes, you know, there's an element of serendipity to how you get yourself into a team and, you know, uh, to see a player make the most of that opportunity is is hugely promising, not least because, you know, he's a Hayland boy and he's just really, really talented and exciting to watch and, and humble as his um, slightly less, um, what's the word, eloquent post-match interview <laughs> the other night showed if we're comparing to James Madison. Look, he was, it was a 7 out of 10, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, he Madison was. Yeah. He was 7. Yeah, look, he did He did fine. He was. He's young. He's really nervous. I don't know that he's 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 done one of those before on Sky with, you know, the voice in his ears and Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville firing questions at him. I thought he did really well. And it was it was nice to see a, a young player who's so uh, humble and, and appreciative of his chance. So long may it continue. Final question. I've, I've just Go on that. I have to say, um, it's not the weirdest interview he's ever done because mm. you remember when we were out in Washington for the tour? Yes. Um, and were you at the, there was a fan event at the campus they were staying at 
And after much pleading and prodding, Arsenal uh, agreed to let me talk to Smithrow on the condition that we did it kind of as a walk and talk. Right. So we we're walking through the back of this Washington hotel, through the kitchens and pretty much everywhere that Arsenal could take it's like their good, squad. Like Goodfellas, like that season yeah, when they're exactly coming into the nightclub like in Goodfellas. goodfellas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's me here just asking Emil, oh, you know, how's the injury? How good is it to be back? As he's like, mm. what is this guy? I just want to get back to my hotel room. So <laughs> I'd like to think maybe I warmed him up for Jamie Carragher. Okay, fair enough. We'll give you, we'll give you that credit. Just final question then. Um, the the recent form, the four wins out of five in the Premier League, one draw, five clean sheets in a row in all competitions, you know, an FA Cup win over Newcastle, albeit in, in extra time. Uh, you know, I think you would say par for the course when you're a club like Arsenal and you look at those fixtures and you look at the potential return in terms of points, et cetera, et cetera. Par for the course, um, but having come after such a terrible run, are you encouraged by some of the things that you're seeing? Obviously, the, the creative issue is addressed. I think there are signs, perhaps, that uh, Aubameyang's getting back to something more like his best for various reasons. One, obviously, he's put the ball in the back of the net. But two, we're getting him the ball in positions uh, you know, where he can put the ball in the back of the net rather than sort of hugging the touchline. I think the Palace game was an example of, of quite how it didn't work with, with Aubameyang. The return of Thomas Partey, uh, you know, defensive solidity, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. The, the upcoming schedule is much more difficult. I think everybody accepts that. I think the, 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 the manager and the players are well aware of that themselves. But are there enough green shoots from what we've seen in the last few weeks to be encouraged or positive about what is to come? I mean, I think there are going to be some ups and downs in this next period because, you know, the opposition that we face, away games, Europa League, balancing all those things. I'm not saying it's going to be plain sailing, going back to our terrible boat metaphor, but, you know, I think there are enough signs to be encouraged you know that 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 we've if not turned the corner we we have the corner in sight and that we are capable of of producing um some decent performances and decent re- results from what's uh, what lies ahead yeah i think the the two things that i'm really encouraged by and you're right that there's going to be tough moments in the in the coming month or so um but i think the two things to like are that he's able to play a four man defense without it looking a little bit light and he, that that four man defence is it has doesn't have to be a specific quartet. I think it's been really encouraging to see Pablo Marie. It's hard to say prove the doubters wrong because we haven't really had much to doubt, but just prove his worth, um, however you want to describe it. Um, and then for Luis to come in and, and be solid, mm. and for them to get these clean sheets without. Uh, you know the player we would generally say is their best centre back, um, and I think a lot of it does come down to good solid protection from Xhaka, um, who's not been perfect uh, mm. in possession, but has been okay. And I think a lot of the players have been okay, and oh, these players playing okay, it's not too bad. It, it should get you a few good wins. Um, and then yeah, Bamiyang. I think the a lot of the issue was. Um, that he just was not getting the chances. I, I, I think it was um, Ollie Price Bates tweeted something about you know his his opportunities, and I, I looked at some numbers, which I'm desperately trying to get up here. But he was some, he was somewhere around fiftieth for touches in the final third per game before Christmas. Right. He's up to around the top fifteen now. Um, I may have those numbers a little bit wrong, but he's he's basically getting about fifty percent more touches in the final third every game. The thing with the Bamiyang is he's never been a a you know great finisher. He's not a Son or a Salah. He doesn't outperform you know the the expected goals that come his way. He just gets in the positions mm. he needs to a lot. Having said that, you can only get in those positions if you're getting the ball up the pitch quickly. And I think it's really, I think for me, the most encouraging part of the Newcastle game was seeing Partey thump through Newcastle's midfield with this brilliant, he has this brilliant combination of grace and just uh, the power of like a bully that he's just like, well, you're not as good as me. I'm having the ball off you. Yeah. Um, and then slip in the Bamiyang. I think that is a, that is a great way to get the best out of Bamiyang. And um, I think I, Partey is Partey for me feels like he could be a really powerful addition for the second half of the season. Um, 
we all get overexcited, don't we, when we see new signings. Mm. But uh, I'm a bit giddy about Partey. Uh, he, he makes me giggle uh, in a silly way because he's just there are games where he's so much better than everyone else on the uh, in that midfield um especially against Newcastle it was players were just bouncing off him and it, it's not just the um power thing which feels like a reductive stereotype it's that it's real quality to go alongside that um and I think having that in the midfield that's something they've not had in a very long time mm. well I'm looking forward to seeing more of him for sure Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And, you know, if he can raise the level of those around him in, in midfield or, or dovetail with um, midfielders who perhaps have felt imperfect in terms of their partnerships with, with one another, if he can find the right partner in there, it will certainly help. You know, a, a, a properly functioning central midfield is really key to a consistent team. You know, it doesn't solve all the problems, but uh, a lack of consistency is certainly one of the issues that we've had. So hopefully he can do that. Right, look, we better leave it there. James, um, I look forward to your Twitter mentions tomorrow when this comes out, when all the Arsenal aggregators say, Skodren was standing <laughs> set for a new Arsenal deal uh, in, ha- in brackets at James Benj. So good luck with that. Yeah, I'm re- regretting that already. <laughs> Listen, pleasure as always to talk to you and we'll catch up with you soon. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to James. You can find him on Twitter. He is at James Benj, at James Benj, and doing his thing for CBS. Now, two games in three days against Southampton means two away games as well, means that Mikel Arteta is going to have to rotate his squad. And it is an interesting one. Obviously, our record in the FA Cup over the last number of years has been fantastic. It's a tournament in which we have excelled. Uh, It it was a a big part of the success of last season. Uh, Well, it made up for how poor the league season was and look winning a trophy is a great achievement I just wonder about this weekend and the game coming up on Tuesday how Mikel Arteta is going to view these uh, fixtures in his mind if he could choose one to win and I'm not saying it's it's as binary as this obviously he'll be out to win both and wants to win both but I just wonder in the grand scheme of things if he might think that the league game is the more important one given that you know how do you measure a team how do you measure uh, how good a team is. Is it what they do in a cup competition? Look, it can be part of it, but I think when you're looking to truly measure a team, its progress, its its development, it's what you do over 38 games in the league. And we have gone through a very difficult period. We've uh, turned things around a little bit, and now, of course, it's going to get a bit more difficult I suspect that the league game is the one that if you gave him a choice and made him choose between the two, it's the one that he would he would pick. I know that some people will say, well, look, the FA Cup, it's a route into Europe. This season, winning the FA Cup gets you into the Euro- uh, Europa Conference League, not the Europa League proper. So it's not quite as weighty as it was last time around. And I think, you know, the guys that have done it in the league have put in a huge amount of effort. There is going to be some need to run 
rotate and to rest and to ensure that the likes of Smith Rowe and Saka and Tierney to an extent as well aren't overburdened. I mean, Tierney had to miss one of the league games because we played him 120 minutes in an FA Cup game. I mean, this game on on Saturday against Southampton could be a 120-minute game as well. So I'm looking at this one and thinking... I know Ainsley didn't do great uh, left back in the last game, but it's an FA Cup game. I would give him another go there. Uh, I'd be looking at bringing in uh, Pepe. I'd be looking at bringing in... I, I don't like it. I You know, I said this on the Arscast Extra on Monday, but there is a need to extract some kind of value from Willian. I don't really want to see Willian, but I can understand why if he's picked on Saturday, he will be picked because we need to... We need to get the most out of the squad that we have. And uh, players in bad form aren't going to turn around the bad form unless they get a chance to play. Um, so, you look, I accept it's not really a solution that anybody is particularly fond of. But if it happens on Saturday, there are reasons for it. You know, Gabrielle could come back in at the back. Uh, I don't think we'd be playing uh, Runison in goal. Thomas Partey, do you give him another 60 minutes? Do you drop him out and leave him on the bench to give him a few more minutes because he is going to be so important in the league? My, my point overall is I think there is going to be a fair amount of rotation for the team on Saturday, um, which isn't to say that Arteta isn't taking the FA Cup seriously. I'm sure he does want to win the game, but he's also cognizant of the fact that we've got a league game in the same place in three days' time. So he's going to have to rest some players, simple as that. So we'll wait and see what happens. It's a relatively early kickoff on Saturday, I think. I have to look this up. I think it's a 12 kickoff uh, arsenal.com not arsblog.com uh, for the fixtures so it is yeah 12.15 on Saturday it seems like an absolute age since we played a game that early actually yeah normally our games are, are afternoon or evening it seems like that's been the case uh, for most of this season anyway so that's a little bit of a change fingers crossed we can do the business James and I will be around on Monday of course to discuss whatever happens at St. Mary's and look ahead to what's going to happen at St. Mary's on Tuesday as well for Patreon members we will have a preview podcast for the league game we're not going to preview FA Cup games the preview podcasts are only for the FA, uh, for the league game so you can join us for one of those on Monday as well uh, so a couple of podcasts for you on Monday if you're a Patreon member patreon.com forward slash arsblog in the meantime I just thank you again for being here thanks for listening for subscribing for supporting for all the comments and all the feedback it's hugely appreciated I hope you enjoyed the show have yourselves a great weekend fingers crossed Arsenal can do the business keep this good run going another clean sheet some goals that'd be nice make our weekend good please if you wouldn't mind Arsenal we'll catch you on the Arscast Extra on Monday so until then take it easy cheers bye bye Fair point, Jamie. Well made. Now for some post-match reaction, it's Jimmy Anderson, and he's talking with Jeff Shroves. Jeff, 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 Jeff Shroves. Great game today, Jimmy. Well done. You've won the game. You scored a goal. How do you feel? Yeah, obviously happy for the lads. You know, we got three points. That's the main thing. But how do I feel? Well, pretty much empty inside. At the end of the day, uh, what does it all mean? Well, it means that you're top of the table. You've now got a three-point lead ahead of Man City and Liverpool, so that must feel good. Well, it's uh, it's all relative, isn't it? You know, walking on a beach on a hot, sunny day, 
sand and sea beneath your toes. That feels good. Then you look out to the horizon and you think, wow, what is the point of any of this? The vastness of the ocean stretching out grey as far as the eye can see. You get lost in the hugeness of existence itself. Me, I'm just one tiny grain of sand on this beach that we call the universe. As Aristotle said, happiness depends upon ourselves. But what if we don't know who we really are inside? Is it then possible to be happy? Even when you've scored a goal to take your team top of the league? Aristotle didn't have to deal with the pressures of top flight football. Uh, well, tell me about the goal then. That's your 12th of the season. Quite a good record. Yeah, well, great work down the right by Dave, and uh, I hit the ball first time, and there it was in the back of the net. Jimmy, thank you for your time. Thank you, Jeff. Jess. Jeff. 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 Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.